Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Here we are again on Sabres Live and hearing those beautiful, beautiful calls from Rick Jenneret. And we told you yesterday that we'll be honoring the life and career of RJ, the Hall of Fame broadcaster. We'll be doing so this Sunday at KeyBank Center with a special tribute, Marty Baran. Um, what a day that's going to be remembering RJ, the man behind the mic. Doors open at the arena at 3.30. The ceremony begins at 5. Uh, it's going to be really just a wonderful roundtable conversations, discussions. And, uh, you know, we we certainly can't wait to be able to share that with you both in arena and on MSG and on Sabres.com and our social media platforms. And general admission tickets are free to the public and will be available or pardon me, are available, of course, right now, sabers.com slash RJ. Now, one other thing that I know you want to dive into here, Marty, is some new news that along with remembering RJ this Sunday, we're actually going to be starting a marathon of broadcasts remembering RJ through his classic calls in classic games starting on Friday on MSG and running for a couple of weeks. So um, I know this is... This is just another way to help all of us, you know, remember in the best way possible where we were during those times, you know, and it'll all come flooding back as we watch some of those classic games. And I know that one of the, I don't want to call them most significant moment uh, of the early days of the pandemic, but it's when we started replaying a lot of classic games when the season was put on pause in March of 2020. And all of a sudden we're like, Hey, what are we going to do? And then we, you know, pulled up some amazing games and playoff games and regular season games and whatnot to revisit right with the fans. And then what you can do as a, as a certain generation of, of, of Sabres fans, you can kind of pass that on those memories, those, uh, mm-hmm. uh, those moments. And I think the same thing here as we're going to get uh, RJ classics being broadcast on MSG and Sunday, I believe that there's going to be a marathon of games mm-hmm. throughout the day leading up 
to uh, remembering RJ at the arena. So if you are one that uh, can't make it in or, you know, is from out of town and maybe want to just keep keep up with what's going on, you're going to have a bunch of RJ Classic games on MSG. And then mm -hmm. you will have the 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 conversation, the you know, the RJ remembering RJ on MSG as well at five o'clock. And we'll dive into uh, a lot of NHL news later on in the show today. Our good friend Shana Goldman from the Athletics going to join us uh, a day earlier, which is great for me. Maybe less so for you because you're flying kind of solo tomorrow. I don't know. What are you doing tomorrow? Because I'm not going to be there to help. I'm flying solo tomorrow. I'm 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 just uh, gonna figure that out with Jay and Jeff later today. Um, I think Dan is joining me tomorrow. But yeah, I'm I'm actually like I said. You, you asked me yesterday. I'm in Kentucky right now. Tonight I'm coming back to Buffalo because tomorrow I felt like I needed to be in my you know my studio if I want to mm -hmm. call it that way so that I can be well prepared. But uh, uh, yeah, Dan's gonna join. We're obviously gonna talk about. RJ, we're going to talk about some NHL news if any happens. But yeah, uh, you know, you're doing your thing, and uh, I'm 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 going to be trying my best to uh, to keep up with anything that's happening on Friday on Sabers Live. <laughs> well, it's obviously you know it, it all builds now towards remembering RJ on Sunday, and we uh, we really look forward to being able to share more memories of the great Rick Jenneret uh, with you at that time. Um, obviously. The big news that we'll dive deeper into with Shayna at the bottom of the hour are the contracts that were signed yesterday. Um, Austin Matthews getting an extension in Toronto, four years, um, 13.25 per year. It makes him the yes. highest paid player um, in the NHL at that number. What is the significance of the Matthews deal from a league-wide perspective and more specifically from a Sabre perspective in your mind? Oh, yeah, I'll start with the Sabres perspective because a lot of the numbers now are always going to keep kind of one-upping one another, right? I mean, the best player in the National Hockey League is Connor McDavid, but now Austin Matthews is the top-paid player. Connor McDavid is actually the third-best-played player uh, in the NHL after Nathan McKinnon got his deal done last year and now Austin Matthews. So it's just normal progression that you always are going to get somebody else claiming that top price. Austin Matthews went from 14.6% of the salary cap when he signed his five-year deal last to now 15.8% of the salary cap. So he went up about a percent, 1.2% of the, the percentage of the pie, right? So mm -hmm. then what it means for the Sabres is when I look, obviously, at Rasmus Dahlin. And we've talked about Rasmus Dahlin a lot this summer about when is the new deal coming up? Is it last year of his current contract, a bridge deal between his entry-level deal and what would be a multi-year uh, extension. So what does that mean? Um, I don't think that Rasmus Dahlin is going to be a 14 or 15% salary cap type of player, but it, could he be at 12%? You look around the NHL, right? You look at when Drew Doughty signed his contract, he was at 13.5% percentage of the salary cap well yeah he had stanley cup so that helps but can dalene be at 12 12 and a half percent of the salary cap and what does that mean well mm -hmm. if it's 12 percent, it's 10 million it's 10 million average right the, if you you base it off of 85 million dollar cap it's not there yet but it will be there next year so that's that's how i look at the austin matthews contract i look at it twofold 
best um, uh, highest paid player in the NHL, but he's not the best player in the NHL. But that's just normal. That you some years he's pretty darn close. Well, when you score sixty goals a year, um, yeah. did not do it last year. Did it the year before. That's going to put mm-hmm. you in the top three or four conversation. And by that point, these guys are separated by a million uh, five hundred thousand a year, so it doesn't really make that much of an impact. But two is okay. What does that mean for Rasmus Dahlin? What percentage mm-hmm. of the cap can we expect for Rasmus Dahlin? And how does that that translate in actual dollars at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And the other deal at the almost opposite end of the spectrum, despite being a number one pick overall, and this is really, I mean, I guess some could have seen it coming given how long he was sitting there and nobody else wanted to bite. And we talked about why doesn't somebody just offer sheet him at some point to make it life yeah. even more miserable for the Rangers. If you basically get them for free at under 4 million, you know, um, like the compensation is so minimal on offer sheets. But anyway, Alexi Lafreniere has got a two-year bargain deal, and I say the bargain from a Rangers standpoint, I would assume. No? Oh, absolutely a bargain deal. I, th- I think Lafreniere is a very, very good NHL player. Has he mm-hmm. lived up to a first overall pick? No, but it was a weird development time for Lafreniere. He got drafted the summer of the pandemic. It was the first virtual draft. And then the next year is a shortened season that starts in January with a taxi squad. How does that affect a player, right? It's not like Dalene first year, you're playing a full season in the NHL with a full summer development uh, and and everything that you want at your disposal. Um, you know, uh, for, Ma- for um, Lafreniere, it, it's been tougher. He's a good player. He does his best work, I believe, with the Rangers when he's on a third line, and he was with Capocacco, who was a top uh, draft pick as well, and Philip Hedl. Um, Will that change? Would would they give Lafreniere more of a top six role? Maybe, um, but now that's on him to perform. But I, I still think Lafreniere is a really good player. I think it's a bargain. I think you're right. There's definitely a lot of teams that could and should have looked at an offer sheet, but somehow GMs are really reluctant to... Uh, um, to do those things, to do offer sheets. And and again, would the Ranger have matched the offer sheet? I think they probably would to a certain level. You're not going to pay Lafreniere four, four and a half or five million dollar a year. But anything mm-hmm. in the two and a half to three and a half, I think the Rangers would have matched. So um, I think that's what they got. They got a deal done at 2.3 million a year on average. Yeah. And obviously, when you look at the Rangers and their, you know, salary structure, You've still got three more years of Panarin at 11-6. You've got a long-term commitment. And uh, if we're going to sit here and talk about Cousins and Thompson as being good deals, I think the Rangers have a good long-term deal of six more years. You know, Savannah at eight and a half. Um, You've still got four more years of Kreider at six and a half. You've got a lot of Trocek. You've still got six years with Vinny at at 5.6. And then you get into the youth, right? You've got Heedle at four years at 4.4, which is presumably at the very minimum, the next step for Lafreniere. He trails him by a couple of years in age. It's reasonable to see Lafreniere at least doubling this current deal that he just signed at 2.3. And if he lives up to expectations, you would expect him to get into that range. And they've got to deal with Capocacco after this year as well, because he's at 2.1 on an expiring deal as an RFA. So there, and you got six years of Adam Fox still, right? I mean, a yeah, I mean, I, for Adam Fox, six years of him at nine and a half. 
think of it this way. Like I just talked about Rasmus Dallin, maybe getting to 12% of the salary cap. And that would mm-hmm. mean $10 million a year. Uh, Adam Fox, when he signed his contract, 11.6% of the salary cap made it $9.5 million. Adam Fox could yeah. easily be top two, top three defensemen in the NHL right now. Obviously, Carlson had the year he had last year. And you can look at Kel McCarr. But I think you got to put Adam Fox in that conversation. You got to put Rasmus Dallin in that conversation too. But you have a valued contract for Adam Fox for six more years at $9.5 I think mm-hmm. that's, uh, again, a lot of flexibility opens up when you get those type of deals. Right. And the, the interesting thing for the Rangers will be two years from now, because two years from now, they won't be they won't be looking at five point six million for Shesterkin. Uh Two two years nope. from now, Keandre Miller is going to need a new deal. Uh, two years from now, not three point eight. Yeah, right. Lafreniere is <laughs> going to need a new deal. So, yeah, it's fascinating knowing the term that they've still committed to the others. So obviously the Rangers, like so many teams, sit there hoping that the salary cap has an astronomical rise here. And it makes life an awful lot easier for them. So we'll dive in a little deeper on NHL news and, quite frankly, the salary cap itself, because our friend Shana Goldman definitely discussed that as one of the areas that perhaps the league can, you know, um, perhaps have more flexibility with and ways to improve the game. Maybe it loosens things up as far as deals across the league. We'll dive in with uh, Shana from The Athletic at the bottom of the hour. Tim Graham, by the way, yeah. um, a really, really nice piece uh, in memory of Rick Jenneret today in The Athletic as well. So if you have an opportunity and a subscription to that, would encourage you to do so. Um, Tim talking to a lot of our colleagues, a lot of former players and executives within the Sabres organization over the last number of decades that, uh, that were really able to put their their own unique perspective, um, personal touches, if you will, much like Jordan LaBarber did yesterday when talking to us about his first interactions with RJ. And we love that story as well. But the one thing that you can't separate um, is RJ from any great moment in Sabres history. And we led this show today with their only game seven win. It was Derek Plant. It was against Ottawa. And you know how history often leads you to the most uh, wonderful moments, the nostalgic, romantic moments, if you will. Oh, remember this, right? And you sometimes gloss over the hardships to get to that great place. Well, when we dive in as with our team of the day today, it's the Ottawa Senators. And man, like for all the good history that there is, Buffalo against Ottawa, there have been some trying times as well, not the least of which was you think back to that first ever playoff series, the Hashik drama on and off the ice, the emergence of Steve Shields saving the day. This team was down three games to two going to Corral Center then in Ottawa and having to win a game to force a game seven, which is the only game seven they've ever won. And Shields delivers a masterful, probably the greatest game of his career then and now, you know, as life went on. And and I just, I'm amazed that when you let, think of the history of these two teams, how different might it have been if Ottawa had won that series and you didn't hear that next step here, you know, 
here come the Buffalo Sabres, as RJ phrased it, to the Legion of Doom. And keep in mind that Philadelphia was a cup finalist that year. The Sabres made, yes. you know, they lost to Philadelphia. This was a really good Philly team. Next year, the Sabres are in the conference final. Next year, the Sabres are in the Stanley Cup final. Like, if Steve Shields doesn't pull off that game in game six, who knows what the history of this Sabres team was in that era? Oh, no, I, absolutely. Shields in game six was... Uh, standing on his head, he was getting run over as we're showing a clip of him on MSG right now where the Ottawa Senators banged him a few times and they wanted to get in his uh, in his head and he, he stood tall. I still remember Duffer because I was playing with the Hall Olympics in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League at the time, which is across the river from Ottawa. I remember watching the game where Dom... Um, came out and then you know shields goes in and i'm thinking I, i'm gonna get a phone call i'm staying close to the phone because i'm like i'm 45 minutes away they're gonna need somebody to come and be their third goalie and then they showed andre trefilov on the bench later in the game because he had to get dressed he was the third goalie from the stands he got dressed i was like oh man i'm not getting called up now i was kind of disappointed i wanted to experience that playoff rivalry thing but shieldsy with uh you know his his, his uh, game six heroics was uh was was awesome and then it led to you know a moment where you bought a last minute ticket to be able to go to game seven in buffalo duffer and be right there mm -hmm. at the blue line when Derek Plant scored. And um, I used to love Ron Tugnut because Tugger was a goalie with the Quebec Nordiques early in his career. He had that masterful performance against Ray Bork and the Boston Bruins of 70 saves mm -hmm. in a regular mm -hmm. season game. Uh, and uh, then this happens, right? Derek Plant over the blue line and it blows up his glove. I mean, look, as a goaltender, I feel bad because we didn't have the equipment that the players and the goalies have now. And we didn't have mm -hmm. the tools to dry off the gloves and make sure that maybe, maybe now goalies have two or three gloves to be able to, I mean, if you're in overtime in the springtime, it's hot, it's wet. You, you get the, the dry glove, right? And you're like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to rotate them up. Run Tugna didn't have that luxury. His glove was very flimsy and wet, and the shot came in, and Derek Plant had a rocket for a shot. It hit his glove, the glove flipped over, and it went into the net. Like uh, I felt bad for, for Run Tugna because I've been there before where my, I don't want to say my equipment failed me, but it's still <laughs> not, um, you know, your, your equipment didn't help you in that moment, uh, right. and it just happened to be an overtime game seven. It's crazy. Steve Shields had uh, only 15 appearances on his NHL resume before he was thrust into action in that series in 97 against Ottawa. Now, he came in in relief and secured a win. But then, despite 35 saves on 36 shots in his first start of that series, he lost. And then he had a bit of a tough one. He lost game five. He gave up four on 26 shots. And that's what makes his 31-save shutout in Game 6, one of the more unlikely impressive goaltending feats in Sabres playoff history. You know, people were thinking, oh, the pressure, they're not going to get through this. It's too much to not have Dominic Hasek at this point in time. And back-to-back -back losses, this doesn't look good with Ottawa being on home ice. Man, it is something to think that he pulled that one out and that they were able to then come home and it was a shaky, it was the most nervous game I think I've seen both an audience and at times both teams feel like on the ice. You know, there was just, 
how are we going to get through? And and it was a low scoring game, and it just it. I can't imagine what it was. I, I you know I don't know if I've ever specifically asked Razor some of the stories of just what the tension was like going into that one. Um, and they snuck it out thanks to Derek Plan, and and it's all part of now this Ottawa Buffalo playoff lore more than anything. But I mean, you know. The, when you think back to when Ottawa came into the league in the early nineties, well, what, what was Buffalo consisting of at the time? LaFontaine, McGillney, Howard Chuck, and Chuck, like they feasted <laughs> on the expansion senators. I was looking at the numbers today. Yeah. Like LaFontaine scored 14 times in 15 games. And he and McGillney had almost exactly two points a game against Ottawa over a couple of years. It was just, you know, they would love to run up the score. And um, and then, you know, as we were talking off air in preparation of this today, um, it was kind of crazy to think that after Shields had to come in for Dom in 97, think about how great Hashik was in 1999 when they met again in the playoffs. Like Dom was, this might have been one of Dom's finest hours. Yeah, so I listen, Duffer. I you're kind of cutting up on me, so I don't know if it's me or if it's uh, you know our signal that's uh, um, breaking it up a little bit. But I, I just wanted to say something about Steve Shields quickly, and then we can maybe see if uh, if it's working better. But the thing with Shields is he was so loved in the locker room that the guys wanted to play so hard for him. Obviously, that was a huge thing, right? The fact that uh, remember the fight that he had against uh, Gart Snow, like everybody loves Shields. So they wanted to play hard for him. So when he came in in that Ottawa series, they wanted to play really, really hard for Shields. Uh, yeah, the Ottawa Senators, it, it wasn't just the 97 playoffs, the 99 playoffs. I remember the, sw- the sweep, uh, Sabres win in four. That was the Pekka against Alexa Yashin. Like Pekka was glued to Yashin the whole time. It was when Pekka really, you know, solidified his, I'm a top center. I can shut you down. That was amazing. Uh, it was a clinic on how to, you know, back in the days, they used to shadow Mario Lemieux and try to shadow Wayne Gretzky and all of that. And and Mario always found a way to get his points and, and to, to produce. But but when Pekka shadowed Yashin, shut him down. And I actually, it stayed with Alexi Yashin for a long time, like, yeah. Not a playoff performer. Look at what Pekka did to him. So that 99 series was was pretty amazing as well. And Pekka kept shadowing Yashin in their days on the island. I'm losing you. I don't know. I may have oh, to move no. my uh, my Wi-Fi. I don't know if it's yeah, just me. You keep talking. Up. I'll move around and just get to a better spot. Well, the one thing that obviously was, you know, it was sad when Michael moved on from the Sabres, but then he became teammates of Alexi Yashin, and that was incredibly strange to see based on the shutdown performance that we had seen from one against the other in that 99 series. The crazy part about the 99 series for me was, uh, actually, I just relocated to Ottawa at the time and was covering the Senators, and 
Um, that first game, Buffalo had very few shots on goal. They were dramatically outshot, which would become the theme of the very short series. In fact, Buffalo was outshot on average 40 to 26 over the four games. But it was that second game that really put the doubt back in the Senators' minds. Miro Shatam scores in double overtime. And, you know, another stunning performance by Hasek. And there goes Buffalo rolling into Ottawa, coming out with two wins. And it was, you know, they would come home and complete the sweep. In large part, you really noticed it then that the pressure was mounting on Alexi Yashin, that the pressure was mounting on the Senators to have no answer for Hasek. And, you know, that was the, it, it, the look. I mean, it just it set Buffalo on its way after the heartbreaking defeat the year before against the Capitals in the conference final. It just looked like, OK, they are totally in sync now. And, you know, they've made some additions. We talked to Stu Barnes not long ago. Um, this was this was Buffalo's launching pad to their run to the Stanley Cup final in 1999. And I don't think it could have been done with more authority with how they were constructed and what their identity was in 1999 than having Dom be so dominant in that first round and getting the timely scoring. Even like, my gosh, Marty, you go back and you look at some of the numbers, like even Verada was over a point a game in that series. Like he's, (laughs) But that's, but you go back through it. Like it was Rasmussen. It was, uh, Holzinger. Like I know it took Stu a long time to score, but there were so many guys and it was also timely. And that's why after all this time in Stanley Cup history, you get the cliches that exist, you know, good goaltending, timely scoring. That was Buffalo in 1999. And Dom set the bar in that opening round. Whenever I talk to fans about the 99 playoff run for the Sabres, the, the trivia question that always comes up is, who is the Sabres' first line that year? You know, because oh. usually, like, marquee team that go to the finals have this amazing first line. And it's always, yeah. well, Michael Pecco is the center. And then, uh, uh, who were the wingers? And then it was Dixon, Warden, and Vaslav Varada. That was the first yeah. line. And you're thinking, mm-hmm. how does a team... And I remember also... After the 99, you know, obviously lost to Dallas, the rally in the plaza and everything. But mm-hmm. it was, who is the better team that made it to the finals? The 75 Fly uh, Sabres against the Flyers or the 99 Sabres against Dallas? But I'm like, the, the 75 Sabres were way better than the 99 Sabres. They just, the 99 Sabres had Dominic Ashek and it started against Ottawa how dominant he was. You just, you know, told us about all the numbers, but Dom was, I mean, he had won Vesna trophies. He had won two heart trophy already. Uh, But that dominance of 99 Mm -hmm. was on another level. Like, oh, in starting 98 too, like his Washington series in 98, but Ottawa in 99, it really set him apart. We do have to rattle through. Uh, we got to get to break, but let's do it by talking very quickly about this because it doesn't get talked about enough. We talk about Pominville all the time. We had JP on recently to talk about his game three winner, yeah. but can we just very, very, very quickly go through game one of that series? I know you <laughs> and I did it and I, we did it in classic games years ago when COVID started. Yeah. And I just think that people never. I don't think we talk about it enough, quite frankly. And obviously, you know, we're sitting here today 
launching into an RJ marathon, if you will, remembering RJ starting tomorrow on MSG with classic games. But as, as much as I didn't thoroughly love watching the rebroadcast of this years ago, because I felt it was, I don't know, it was hard to explain. The fact that yeah. Buffalo came back as many times as they did in this game is also what makes it one of the most unique in, in their playoff history. And I, I don't even know. How do you describe it after all these years? Winning 7-6 after scoring late and then winning it early in overtime. All I could say, it was a true roller coaster of emotions and a physical roller coaster because at times the puck was just sitting perfectly for guys. It was sticking to their stick. And, and at times it was... You know, you couldn't handle it. It was exploding. It was a grenade on your stick, and guys couldn't even handle the puck. Um, so it was a roller coaster physically and a roller coaster emotionally. When we tied it up, though, at the end, Tim Conley, little poker, right? And in it looked like a nothing play. It's just getting pucks to the net. It's so cliche, get pucks to the net, but it get pucks to the net. Conley pokes it in. I thought Ottawa was the better team, mm-hmm. but I thought we have that. That it right now. We have this fighting, battling type of of situation, and we're gonna get it done. And then when Drury scored in overtime, which was probably the ugliest overtime goal you could ever find, like Volchenkov who loses the puck, overskates the puck, Drury gets it, shot to the middle of the net from the blue line. Like, how does Ray Emery not stop that puck? Like it was meant to be. I keep saying that series was meant to be. That's why it was so special, game one. It really was. And obviously, as we announced yesterday on the show, the Sabres will be honoring the life and career of Hall of Fame broadcaster Rick Jenneret. It happens on Sunday at KeyBank Center, and it will include a special tribute uh, featuring roundtable discussions and conversations with broadcasters and alumni. It's Remembering RJ, the man behind the mic, and it begins at 5 p.m. with doors opening at KeyBank Center at 3.30 General admission tickets are available now. They are free to the public, and we look forward to seeing you. The event will also air on MSG and stream live on Sabres.com, as well as our social platforms. And as mentioned, we announced today at the top of the hour that a whole run of remembering RJ through classic Sabres games launches tomorrow on MSG and runs for the next couple of weeks. Shana Goldman from The Athletic is next here on Sabres Live. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, 
better than reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. We're back with more of Sabres Live, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Halfway home on the Thursday edition of Sabres Live. Yes, Thursday. So we are blessed with an early appearance from Shana Goldman of The Athletic. Hi, Shana. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, we've had more to talk about in the last 24 hours because of a couple of, uh, you know, first overall picks and signings in Austin Matthews and Alexi Lafreniere. Um, what do you make of both those deals for the Leafs and Rangers, respectively? Okay, so we can go a little more boring first in this Lafreniere contract. Um, it is the smallest contract we've seen a first overall pick get as their second contract, right? And there's good reason for it. You know, some of it's self-inflicted, him not living up to his potential, but a lot of it has to do with the team and the position he's been in. He hasn't had that chance to thrive. His development hasn't been prioritized. So it doesn't make sense for him to commit to some contract now that he could, you know, ideally outplay in the next couple of years. And the team doesn't have the money at this point. You know, he's a third liner to them. So it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. I think it's a fine deal for now but it's obviously nothing flashy or huge, right? Now, let me ask you this. When it comes to offer sheet, what, what would be the most that the Rangers would have said, ah, I'm going to walk away? Because he would have been in that second round pick tier, right? From 2.1 to 4.2 million, like the compensation would have been a second rounder, which is not a lot considering it's, you know, uh, Lafreniere and maybe he can burst up, but... Would would four million been too much for the Rangers, or even too much to give Lafreniere? Is three point five would have been too much? Where would have been the the cutoff for that? I think three point two five they could have tried to match, but no matter what, if they went anything over the contract they just signed, they would have had to move someone out. So I would imagine it's a Barkley or Dro type player that they try to get, you know, to clear the cap. The four million range might have pushed it for them because honestly, he's third on the depth chart on the left side. If he sticks there, you've Kreider and Panarin ahead of him. They're not, you know, getting rid of either one of them. And then obviously there's the opening on the right side, but there's no clarity if he can play there because every time they've given him a shot, they've moved him off of it. So I think that four million range would have really pushed them because not only are you trying to make the space for someone you don't know if you want to bet on in that capacity, you're losing someone else in the process. Uh, I think they could have afforded to lose someone else in the process and kind of clear some of their depth out because they have this offseason. They really went for those cheaper signings that they needed to balance out the books. But, you know, it, it's a tough one if there's any term attached to it, unless they go the, you know, Kakaniemi route where it's one year at four million. That I think that I could have seen them going for. So what do you make of the Matthews deal and its impact on the league at large? I wanted it to have more impact. I wanted it to be this you know, landscape changing contract because in the current NHL world, stars are underpaid. And I know it sounds like, you know, it it, it sounds like a, a total load of garbage, right? Because $13 million shouldn't be underpaid, especially next year when you set to be the highest paid player in the league. But the fact of the matter is the system currently isn't for star players. It's overpaying depth players and having to lose, you know, high-end talent because you can't afford them because you messed up how you should, you know, structure your salary when the priority should be having this expensive core and then figuring out a way to have supplemental talent around them that you can clearly interchange and not overpay. So he could have pushed for more on that. It's a win for the Leafs that he's at $13 million somehow. But the interesting part of it is the four-year term. And I think this was really smart by Matthews because, 
you know, why commit to something now when the cap is obviously going to grow in four years? So you shortchange yourself in that respect. The other intriguing element of it is the fact that Connor McDavid will be up for a new contract the year before. So that might be precedent setting for what a, you know, franchise caliber 1C is worth around the 30-year-old range. Because if McDavid breaks, uh, breaks the bank, which he didn't do on his last contract when he seriously could have, you know, Matthews could say, well, I want more than that. A step above in cap hit percentage, just as he did with McKinnon on this deal. That's the cap hit percentage idea that we discussed earlier in the show. So McDavid was at 15%. McKinnon is at 15.1%. Matthews jumps to 15.8%. Is that because the cap stayed relatively flat the last few years? Or is 15.8 now the number that everybody's going to say, well, we got to get 16% of the cap now because Matthew's got 15.8. It's not just the money, but the percentage is a big part of that too. Yeah, it could have been, you know, the incoming cap growth that everybody knows is going to jump next year. So there's a little bit more of the pie to go for. Um, and that could have been like the middle ground because he could have pushed for even more, 16, 17%. He could have done that. He didn't, you know, so I think that's the intriguing part of it. I would say other stars should now say 15.8 is the number, but unfortunately they've already locked themselves to these terrible long-term contracts that they can't like who, you know, is in that tier with Matthews that could push for that. There really aren't many, but maybe someone like Elias Patterson could say 15% isn't that unreasonable. If you think I'm your franchise caliber elite first line center that you need to be the difference maker game in and game out that 15% range or that 14% range might make sense because you have a higher ceiling than you did before. What do you think Pedersen's going to do and then get from Vancouver? Um, because the NHL is very bland and boring. I think he's going to go max term when I'd love to see him push for a shorter term deal and benefit himself a little bit more. But since he's coming off of that shorter term deal now, I guess this is the time for the long term contract. I can't see him coming in anywhere below, you know, 11 million. I think mm -hmm. that's kind of my expectation. I don't expect him to get the McDavid money. I don't expect him to get Matthews money. And that's fine. Few players deserve and have earned that I think he's the tier below you know the McKinnons of the world right there but I look at the Sebastian Ajo contract and go is that something he could match and you know he's someone sure. that they should be breaking the bank for he's the one player they should him and Quinn Hughes are the two players I should say they should be breaking the bank for it's not his fault that they messed up with the JT Miller contract and he shouldn't have to pay for that uh, no, and uh, let me just okay. say this for those who've yeah. forgotten and Marty that's probably you and me included um, amidst all the crap last year for Vancouver Pedersen had a 102 point season and yeah. so I I really think 120 is not out of reach for this guy and so I'm really intrigued to see how Vancouver ends up having to navigate this because we all know what their you know contract situation has been recently they're still right up there at the top of the league and hey when when he had some of his breakout games last year, you know, we spent the entirety of the show pretty much talking about how good this kid is. And I, I think he really has a chance to take it to the next level. So there's my opinion you, for the you day. Could see it, you could see it the way it is, uh, Duffer. You could see Vancouver was supposed to fix their cap situation the last year and a half, two years, and they haven't done so, and they're still in trouble with their cap. That's basically what's going on, and that's going to affect Elias Patterson. Uh, Shana, I, we mentioned the percentage, like top forward, 15%, now 
are we going to see a defenseman getting to 15%? Because right now, like the top defensemen are 11 to 13%. And I'm thinking of Rasmus Dahlin. If he was to sign at 12% of the cap right now, or next year, like let's say 85 million cap, 12% would be 10.2 million on average. Is is 12% a, a big number for a defenseman when it comes to the cap? Can they push to 13 or 14? Yeah, you know, we haven't seen the defenseman hit some of the levels of centers. And it feels like that's always been the priority for a team. If you're a right-handed defenseman or a number one center, you're going to get paid. Left-handed defensemen apparently aren't as important because they're easier to find. Who's to say? <laughs> but, you know, like we know that there's tiers within positions. And the Kale McCars of the world and the Adam Foxes and the Charlie McAvoys, they're all paid very well. They're all in that, you know, nine million range. But with the cap growth, you can definitely push for that 10 million range. And that cap hit percentage, I think, will be pretty equal. I don't think they're ever going to reach the heights unless you're the next coming of Nick Lidstrom, literally the most generational player in the world. And Eric Carlson in his prime in today's game when stars are getting paid a little bit more, you know, they're not getting to those levels. And that's okay. Um, Otherwise, because like there does need to be a bar, right? There needs to be a bar that only the very, very, very elite, only the proven difference makers of the world that everybody would kill to have gets this level of that 15%. But I don't see anything wrong with going for, you know, 10 million, 11 million for Darlene. He's young. He's going to be in his prime for this contract. He's really good. And, you know, as the team improves around him, you expect him to only get better as well. What kind of feedback did you get from one of your most recent articles? 10 lessons the NHL could take from other leagues to improve the game. You know what? It's kind of funny because sometimes you do get the, the league doesn't need to be more player centric comments. This is a team sport and things like that. And to anyone that says that, I honestly, you're the fans that the league does not need to market to. You're the ones that are going to be there forever. So your opinion, I'm just kind of like, okay, boomer, that's fine. Whatever. Um, the one that the two that always I think are the big hits are staggering the schedule. And it's not just the timings on a night because some people don't want that 730 game start. And I understand it, but it's balancing mm -hmm. the days of the week. But the biggest hit has to be that red zone, you know, available streaming service it has to be streaming too we need to have more you know accessible streams yes. right part of the espn package even if you have to pay more just like you do for red zone this is this moment that you can watch a little bit of everything and yes you don't have the benefit of football where you can't say well the game you know is going towards the red zone right now we can flash to it we anticipate a score to happen but for power plays and you know odd man situations you obviously can and if not it's delayed you show the minute leading up to it there's mm -hmm. such a moment to do a weekly special like a Saturday night when the schedule is packed and have that play in bars because people want to see goals and that's how you attract new fans. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, that's that's all good. That's all really, really, really good uh, things. I think in red zone works well for football. Hockey is different, but last minute of games, last minute and a half of games, and if your games are staggered, well, they're not all in the last minute and a half of game at the same time with the score 2-2 two -two or down a goal. So yeah. I think that's important. Um, quickly, I know U.S. Open week is upon us, and that's a big tournament in, in New York City, and you'll be watching. What did you make of Novak Djokovic's mini locker room retreats in his final against Carlos Alcaraz in Cincinnati? I was thinking of you, Shana. I think you'd be yelling at your TV, but uh, he apparently wasn't breaking the rules, and he ended up winning. But what did you think of? The Joker going to the bathroom as often as he did. I think that if it's a rule that everybody has to scrape for, there's kind of a problem. I think if it was someone like Tispas, there would have been a little more uproar. And we know that 
just as he does it, where he needs that long bathroom retreat to reset himself. We know Djokovic has done that when he struggled in matches, that he's done it throughout his career, really, you know, to try to set the pace for himself a little bit differently. So it was no surprise that he's done it here. Um, I I get it with the heat, but I think that's a rule that should have been made clear to everybody. I still think there should have been a little bit more of a time limit. limit. I don't know why sometimes like he is, you know, above the rules. I get it if you're a player of his caliber, but guess what? You have the next gen across from him who's going to be a player of that caliber and he's not breaking any rules. So I didn't love it. I was well, on my screen. He almost broke his hand. Carlos almost broke his hand. He was so mad. He, yeah. he slapped the cooler and then he had to get his finger taped because it was like swollen up like a, a balloon. Like Carlos was so mad. He almost broke his own hand. What, what's the NHL equivalent stall tactic? <laughs> oh, uh, throwing someone, I guess, in the face off dot, you know, won't take it. So you can just keep getting tossed and get a second of rest after an icing, maybe. <laughs> How about Mark? this one? John Tortorella yelling at Henrik Lundqvist. Hank, strap, strap. And all of a sudden, Hank was like, oh, my strap is undone. He's undoing his straps and then he's redoing his strap or his mask. Like Hank that throwing off the, the mask, yeah. Strap of his mask. And then yeah. he would pull his mask out and fix his hair and put a little water and fix his hair. <laughs> and it was all coming from Torts. But Torts got caught one day. And then Torts came to me and was like, Marty, you're in charge. When I wave at you, tell Hank to take his mask off because they know I'm doing it. So I was in charge of, of telling Lundqvist to slow the game down because uh, our defensive system was blocking shots and sometimes game like players needed a break. So that was a stall tactic. I love it. Uh, we are getting closer. We're less than a month away from Prospects Challenge. As far as the tennis fans in our audience, the U.S. Open main draw begins on Monday, the 28th of August, running through September 10th. Shana, thank you. As always, enjoy your weekend. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Shana Goldman from The Athletic will wrap Sabres live right after this. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Not only are we remembering RJ, the man behind the mic, this Sunday at 5 inside Key Bank Center with doors opening at 3.30. We're also launching tomorrow here on MSG, remembering RJ, Sabres Classics. And this is going to be two full weeks of so many wonderful games that RJ called in Sabres history. And you're definitely going to want to tune in Friday night at 7 as we really get to the most recent and most emotional, quite frankly, nights of, uh, for many of us, of RJ's career, the night he had the banner go up and the night he made his last call. So uh hope you enjoy these Sabre Classics upcoming here in the next couple of weeks as we honor RJ. Welcome back in our uh, makeshift studios, as we often do in the summertime with Marty and Brian. Time is winding down. Birthdays. We led the show today with Derek Plant yes. and his game-winning goal against the Senators in Game 7 and 97. Well, his son, Zam, who's a Penguins draft pick, is 19 years old today. He still has his whole college career ahead of him. He's in the USHL, but happy 19th to Zam. And then... 
inching towards the other end of the NHL age spectrum, the veteran who's still guaranteed $24 million over the next three seasons, Anjay Kopitar of the LA Kings is 36 today. Absolutely one of my favorites. He may play until he's 63, so that's uh, the way that the Kings see it with Anze Kopitar is still very effective. It's one of those like Patrice Bergeron. He'll win the Selkie and retire that same year because he's that good, right? But mm-hmm. um, $8 dollars a year for the next three years is a little hefty on the price tag, but that's a good happy birthday anyway for Anze Kopitar. It is, and unfortunately, we don't have any more time to share your Sabres Senators memories. You might do that online today, but I know this. We're back on WGR and MSG tomorrow. See you then. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.